Welcome to the Healing Place podcast, a space filled with inspirational stories of hope, along with practical advice for your healing journey. Your host is Terry Welbrock, trauma warrior, writer, speaker, blogger, therapy dog handler, and founder of the Sammy's Bundles of Hope Project. As a survivor and a thriver, Terry's mission is to shine the light of hope into the world by interviewing insightful guests from across the globe. Please stay tuned at the end of today's interview as we honor our sponsors. The Healing Place podcast is a fiscally sponsored project of Fractured Atlas. Now, here's your host and trauma warrior, Terry Welbrock. Welcome, everybody, to the Healing Place podcast. I'm your host, Terry Welbrock, and incredibly thrilled to have with me today, Caroline Rose, a mom, a dog, cancer, hope. That's what we're going to dive into today. So welcome. Thank you. I'm so happy to be here. Yeah, we have Axel with us, too. Oh, yes. (laughs) We have have a a little pug. Well, actually, he should be littler. He's quite large, but he's in my lap right now taking a nap. So I'm going to try to keep him quiet. That's right. Everybody knows now that Axel (laughs) two cents in and yeah, join us. Let us know. Not a pig, it's a dog. (laughs) Sammy, Sammy's behind me on the floor. She might pop her head up to say hi at some point. Oh my. As long as we're surrounded by dogs, we are happy. We are happy people. Yes, exactly. And oh my gosh, in a few minutes, we'll, we'll, yeah, move into your beautiful dog, Riley, and I'll do a screen share and pop that up. So yes, yeah, so let's talk first about who you are and what you do in the world. Yeah. So I am um, 43 years old and live in Texas. We were in LA for about 16 years, moved back about three or four years ago to my hometown And I am married, we've been married uh, about 18 years now, I guess, and have a 13-year-old daughter and an 11-year-old son. And they are, you know, they're in this age where we always say, I just want to freeze it. You know, I think I'm so aware of just the time passing and you know, it's like when they were little, you know, I mean, it's great, but it's, it's a lot of work, you know, it's just, you're exhausted at the end of the day. And they're in this age where they're very independent, you know, they can go fix a sandwich and do all this stuff. And, but yet they're just so much fun and the, the problems are a little bigger, but it's just this, you know, you see the type of people they're becoming. And, um, I think that, the they've been through a lot they were Ellie was two and my son was five weeks when I was re-diagnosed with a my stage four cancer lymphoma for the third time I'd gone to it uh, through it two times prior and I really thought it was I really thought it was gone because we had done a potentially curative treatment um about three years before Ellie was born no I'm sorry two years before Ellie was born it was a bone marrow transplant and it was successful and the doctors were happy. And so I kind of, you know, got through that and got back to life and thought, all right, you know, let's, let's go do this. And, um, we didn't realize it, but during my son's pregnancy, my second pregnancy, 
it had started to grow back and we thought it was just normal pregnancy back pain, but it was actually the cancer had come and wrapped around my spine and it was sort of pushing. And that was the back pain. So when he was born about five weeks after, you know, when your stomach starts to kind of, you know, go down a little bit, that's when I really noticed the lumps that were the lymph nodes that were swollen. And by that point, I knew exactly what that was and did a CT scan that was confirmed. And so I think, you know, that was tough and that I, I really thought we were past it. And also I'd never gone through this as a mom, you know, it had been just me or just me and my husband. And it was scary and it was hard, but it was, um, you know, it was not as emotionally terrifying. And once you have kids, it just became paralyzing, really. And I always say that third diagnosis was my rocked my world. That was the trauma. That was what absolutely brought me to my knees and ripped me apart to where I knew I had to regrow back from that. I had to heal from that. I had to repair myself from that while trying to be a mom, trying to be engaged with the kids, have energy to be a mom. You know, you never want to put that on your kids, but there are just times when you can't hide it from them. I mean, I was in the hospital for two months. I couldn't see them for three months. You know, I mean, it was just something that I had to surrender to, but I knew it would have an impact on them, you know, and I knew it would be something that they would wrestle with in different ways because Tommy was so young, you know, he was five weeks when I was diagnosed six months old when I was in the hospital and for a couple of years after, you know, I mean, even still today, they know, Oh, mom doesn't feel well. She's in bed. Mom can't stay at my baseball game past eight o'clock because if she doesn't go to bed by eight 30, she can't really function the next day. I mean, they just kind of know. And I worried about that, you know, I, I worry. And, but then I look at them today and they're doing so well and they're highly empathetic. And I wrestle with that a little bit, you know, cause this world isn't really made for impasse. A lot of times they're highly sensitive, but I think they are these wise souls that have been through a lot that hopefully, you know, have a bit of perspective that they don't even realize yet. And it's the silver lining maybe that came out of everything that they kind of rode through when they were so young. Yeah. Beautiful. Well, one, I I talk often about trauma warrior. I hashtag trauma warrior a lot. And you are the poster child of trauma warrior. I mean, wow. Mm. Yeah. None of us asked for that. Did we, we never thought that would be it. (laughs) We we don't want that badge. However, (laughs) but it's, you know, you learn how to wear it proudly. Yeah, absolutely. And, and what's great is that your kids, I mean, well, one, resilience is just such a huge factor for overcoming trauma. And really you've given your children the beautiful gift of resilience because mm-hmm. um, yeah, they've, they've witnessed you and yeah. triumph. So really. Yeah. yeah. Thank you. Thank you. We were, I was lucky when, when I was diagnosed, I had a mom friend, one of my daughter's friends, mom say, you know, you've got to go see this, this person, because I didn't know how to talk really to Ellie because Tommy was so young. I didn't know what to say. Do I tell her about what I'm going through? Do I not? Do I, I don't want to scare her. So she um, made me an appointment with this child psychologist and 
I still to this day, I mean, I think about this doctor every day because I had one session with her one hour and the things that she told me were so monumental. Like they were, they were so important and huge and they stuck with me and they made sense and they resonated. I would have done anything she told me at that point. I was so just like, what do I do? But um, she said, never lie to them. You know, they will lose trust. And yes, they are so young, but don't, you know, give them more credit. They, they're going to sense something is off. They're going to know. So tell them, but tell them in an age appropriate way. You know, like mommy has a big, big, big germ bug in her body, not a little germ bug, like a fever, you know, and she advised me to make a picture book on Shutterfly for Ellie using the pictures I had in the past of the bald head and, you know, and write it, you know, mommy's book to Ellie, mommy, you know, the medicine is working and that's why mommy's head looks like this and all. So it kind of helped her. It told a story, you know, but then she also said, don't lie to them. You can never make false promises and say, I'm going to go to the hospital, but I'll be back tomorrow or I will be, you know, just say, I'm going to go and I love you so much. I'm going to be here as soon as I can, that type of thing. And it really showed me just how to respect to these kids more because it's not, you know, I think any trauma survivor knows we have no control in this life. We can do the best we can and we can wake up every day. We have control over our attitude, our perspective, but we can't control what happens. So therefore, you know, you've got to equip these kids with a little bit of trust in life, if you can, and just the power to empower themselves. And I don't know if I would have known that had I not been given that advice at that time. And um, I, I think that, you know, I hope that I still hold on to that with them every day as, you know, even as they're getting older. Yeah, I love that. And I, I've said it again, I've said it so often. And I mean, if we respect children, they are just so much wiser than I think that we give them credit for as a society. Mm -hmm. And um, yeah, by respecting them, I mean, again, that's just such a beautiful gift to give them because mm -hmm. you're teaching them by example and um, mm -hmm. yeah, and sharing your yeah. truth. So yeah. Yeah. Wonderful. Awesome. Well, one of the things I had talked about before we hit record was I love your hits of hope, which is <laughs> on your, on your website. And it's yeah. 10 tips to guide you when you want to offer love and support in a meaningful way. So I know one thing when people, you know, when I find out a friend is ill, or I find yeah. out something is going on in someone's life, it is that difficult. Like, what do I, what do I do? How do I help? Sure. How do I support? And so, mm -hmm. yeah. Can you talk to us a little bit about that? Yeah, of course. You know, it's funny because I think I still struggle with that. If I hear a friend is going through something I still have that little bit of anxious feeling, you know, what do I do? What, what's the best thing to do? And I think it's so no normal for everyone to feel that way. And I think that, um, you know, it kind of started as more of an exercise for me to write down. So I wouldn't forget, you know, what was really helpful and meaningful and, and the, the, the reverse, you know, maybe what not to say or do that could add more stress or pressure or whatever it might be, even though the intention is, you know, pure gold, it can come off maybe the wrong way, which is what creates the anxiety around what to do for somebody. And so I think, um, 
I think it started with me writing it down for myself, but then realizing a lot of people would ask me, you know, hey, what should I do for my mom? What should I do for my friend? Um, and I think that I was so young when I was diagnosed, I was 27 wow. and it was such a shock. I remember when I called my friends to tell them, and I remember this so well, I remember a couple of their reactions. Uh, most of them were just that, oh my gosh, I can't believe this. Or, you know, and I was right there with them. We were just in shock. I remember one friend I called and she just said, that sucks. <laughs> I was like, it really does. And it just felt so free. You know, it was like, and I tell this friend still all the time, how, how helpful that was for me. Um, I think a lot of times, um, we, we want to be strong and we want to be okay. You know, like, yes, I have this, but I'm okay. And that might be true, but I think sometimes just to have people see you without you having to show them, meaning they're just going to show up. They're not going to call and say, Hey, can I come over and bring, um, you know, dinner two nights from now? I'm going to say, you are so nice to offer, but I think we're good because I feel guilt over them having to make dinner and bring it. And then it's kind of scheduled and it's, you know, but if you show up two nights from now with dinner and just you're there and it's, here you go, put it in the freezer if you need, but here you go. That to me is, that is hugely helpful. You know, it's just the, it, I think it's just trying to give support without adding, uh, to people's mm-hmm. plates, you know, and I think mm-hmm. just letting your person mm-hmm. be real, you know, be, it is what it is and it may suck right now, but you know, actually, no, I think it just sucks right now, you know, cause yeah. there's, I don't know if you've heard of Emily McDowell, the greeting cards, they are the funniest mm-hmm. things. If you haven't, you've got to go look. I think she has one card that says mm-hmm. something like, please let me be the next person to punch whoever tells you that everything happens for a reason, you know, because it's like the last thing you want to (laughs) hear. You know that, but you don't want to hear it. You want to have your time to sort of be a little mad and scared and sad. And when you're ready to move through that, you'll be ready to move through it. So I think it's a, I understand it's difficult for everyone on every side, whether you want to support, whether you're going through it, whether you have a caretaker, it's, it's a very difficult situation. And so I think my, my hope was to make it a little easier in just having been through it and see my husband and my parents and my kids, what was really, if you're looking for guidance, maybe what worked for us. Beautiful. I had just seen something on Facebook about that. That was, was kind of along the same line. Somebody had put out, when, when they were sick, I think maybe it was in the hospital with COVID, really bad symptoms. And, and it was, somebody had responded, um, you know, everything's going to be okay. God's got this. Uh-huh. And now I'm a person of faith and I believe right. in the power of prayer and yes, mm-hmm. we, I know that, but they were struggling with mm-hmm. the fear. And so they, it almost made it worse for this right. person because they thought, oh my gosh, you know, like, God, God's going to be mad because I'm doubting because I'm, because I'm, I'm allowing this fear to overwhelm me. And so it really became this great conversation about, I mean, the intention is so good to say it, Yes, but it's just, it hurts. I mean, it it can cause harm. 
It, it, I know exactly what you're saying. I, there was a, there was a time, um, and I can't remember when in my, my health stuff, but someone said to me, God won't give you more than you can handle. And again, I believe in God. I am a big pray. I mean, I, listen, I am connected, but I remember when they said that to me, I think I looked up and I said, why do you think I'm this strong? I don't want to be strong. Quit giving me stuff. Like it was, right. it was almost this, like, so you're saying God gave this to me. Cause I'm strong. Okay, fine. I'm, I'm not strong. I'm not, I'm out. You know, right. <laughs> right. I, again, you know, it's not helpful. Uh, it was, a, uh, you know, and, and I guess another thing I just thought of, I had a friend again, cause you know, we were a couple of years out of college when I was diagnosed and we were in this young, invincible, this is, these are the you know, time of our life years. And, um, she, I, I called, she was a very close friend and I called to tell her and, um, it was a pretty short conversation. Then I never heard from her. I never heard from her probably for 10 years. And I was hurt. I was angry. I was really angry. And it took me 10 years to really realize that it was maybe more hurtful for her just, and she was so uh, scared and she didn't know how to handle it. And she didn't know what to say. And I saw her last year, I guess, before COVID and she was, it was a girl's uh, college reunion. And I heard from someone else that she was terrified to see me and it just hit me. And it was like, gosh, I hate that. I hate that for her. And I really understood why she wasn't there. And it wasn't because she didn't care. And it wasn't because she just, you know, she couldn't be. Right. And I am sad that I faulted her for that. And I think it's important because I, you know, learned it the hard way that it's not, uh, it's, it's, it's really hard on your family and friends when you go through something and they go through it too. And they go through it in their own way. But I think that I wish I hadn't assumed that it was for um, something that it wasn't, you know? Yes. Well, that's such a trauma informed. I mean, you're looking at it through a trauma informed lens and looking at it from her perspective and the trauma. Yes, it's your trauma, but, but the impact that it's having on her, which is just such a beautiful way to, I told my son the other day, we were talking on the phone and we, John and I love to dive deep. That's the one in Denver that I was talking about my shirt. And um, so John and I, who's 27. So when you say 27, you know, is when you're first diagnosed, I was like, Oh my gosh. I mean, my my son is 27, but he and I were, were diving deep on something and having a great mom son conversation. And, um, he was, I told him, I said, you know, one of the things I've learned along the way through all of this healing journey is to take a step back and try to remind myself, everyone's on their own journey. And Mm -hmm. just because someone might might not be as far along down the path that I am. So your friend could have went Mm -hmm. way back here on her own journey. And you're right, just didn't have the skills necessary to, to deal with it. Yeah. Yeah. You know, that's so interesting that you say that she actually, that I think she did have something that sort of, uh, I think helped shift her perspective, you know, and and it's, again, it's those silver linings and we go through this stuff 
what you see and learn and realize. And it really is, um, I think it's why you hear a lot of people say with certain things, like, I don't know if I could go back, I may not change it because what I, what I gained, if you really allow yourself to do it, um, it's pretty special. And like you just said, it creates that human connection. that's so authentic because you've come out of something. I always say we always relate in the depths of the struggle. It's that dark, scary place. But for me, at least that's where I really, maybe for the first time, found that really strong human connection. And it was with people that weren't afraid to talk about the ugliness, you know, and the messiness. And life isn't this picture-perfect Disney fairy tale that we sometimes grew up to think it was. And so it was a little like, oh my gosh, it might something wrong with me, you know, but we all have it. We all have something and to different degrees and totally different circumstances. But I think when we're able to talk about it, be open about it. And, you know, it's been incredible to see what's come of that. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, I, and I, you took the words out of my mouth. I, I had found soul connection with so many people by sharing my truth. And, mm-hmm. and it's just, how many people have then come to me and said, oh my gosh, me too. Like you just, that they've never told anyone about before. And I feel so honored to be that person because I had the courage to put my truth out there. And so, yeah, Yeah. it is very powerful. And I know one of the things that we wanted to talk about that really was a catalyst for you and your healing journey is Riley. So I'm going to pop up a picture here on the share screen for anyone watching the video. We're going to go right there. So yeah, do you want to talk about Riley? Handsome boy. (laughs) So Riley, I've always loved animals. I've always, I mean, just they've always sort of been a little bit of a, a healing place for me. And I had just finished my first, um, eight rounds of chemo. I'd gone into remission. My husband and I got married, moved to our first little rental cottage in Santa Monica. And I was in this place in my life where the doctors had said from the very beginning, we can treat you, but we cannot cure you if this cancer will come back. And we knew when it came back, I would do a bone marrow transplant, which was the potentially curative option. So I was waiting. I was in this weird state of, I can't go back to work. I was in medical school when I was diagnosed, can't go back to school. I don't know what to do with myself. I'm literally waiting for this cancer to come back. And it was a really hard way for me to live. At the time, I was very type A and goal oriented. And I just needed, you know, and our landlord had said in bold type, you know, no dogs allowed on the lease. And he was from New Jersey, scared me to death. (laughs) And he now we're we still keep in touch. He's fabulous, but he'd been attacked by a dog when he was younger and he was on his properties often and he did not want to mess with the dog. So I knew this. And one day I'm sitting there and I just Googled rescue dogs, Los Angeles, scrolled through, saw Riley's picture. He was being put down that day. He'd been horrifically abused. Burn marks all over his body. He was a great day in lab mix. So he was emaciated at 111 pounds Oh my goodness! and he couldn't walk because they'd kept him in a small cage, the cage that he had as a puppy and they never let him out or change the cage. So he'd been cramped up in this cage. So I called my husband and told him, and he 
thought I was crazy, but knew me well enough to know that if this was going to happen, this was going to happen. And it happened. I went and got Riley and brought him home. And I think it was two weeks. He stayed literally stayed in the corner of our house and he'd go out to go to the bathroom and go right back to the corner. He was terrified, absolutely oh. terrified. And I thought, what have I done? What in the world have I done? And then one night I was cooking steaks and he kind of crept up in the kitchen and I gave him a piece of steak, gave him a piece of my husband's steak and he loved it. And I kind of saw just him relax. And then I swear I gave him the whole steak. I was like, oh, here you go, take it all. And that was it. And he became my project. And so the one thing I knew he loved with this was the tennis ball and he'd sleep with it. Take It was a security blanket. So I went to the beach early and started tossing it in the waves and he started building up his muscle and then we'd go to the dog park and then we started hiking and he never needed reconstructive surgery. We just, you know, rehabbed him and healed him. And he was with me through my second diagnosis, through my third diagnosis, through my pregnancies, my kids, he was the constant, you know, and for me, what I realized once I got through all the treatments and once I kind of was in the phase of life where I call it in like recovery, like this, it's this weird new life on the other side of cancer. I don't know who I am. And it was just, it was an odd thing. And I still was struggling with side effects and infections in the hospital and whatnot, but I knew I wanted to be a good mom and I knew I wanted to be a good wife and daughter and all friend and all that. Cause I'd put them all through so much. So I was, gave so much energy to others that when I was kind of by myself, I needed a creature, a being to just give back to me. And that's what Riley was for me. And he became this quiet source of strength and unconditional love. And he'd get in bed with me for hours and he never needed anything from me other than just love. And I mean, he never left my side. He became actually a service dog. He was so smart. He was so, he had this magical effect on others, not just me. And it was like showing off, you know, proud mom, her, her son, but there was, um, I think the first example I really remember was at my daughter's preschool, he would always ride in the car and I had this car where I could pop the back window open and he was kind of just put his head out and I'd drive around town like that, you know? And so we'd park and we we're in California. So the weather wasn't too hot. He'd stay in the car. And this little girl was nervous to go into preschool. And I, we knew it was small. We knew most of the parents. She's like, why don't you go rub, like go pet Riley? And she went over and crawled in the back of the car and she started rubbing Riley's head. And she said she did it for courage. And then other kids started doing it. And it, became a thing where we'd park and before school every day, the kids would line up and go rub Riley's head for courage. And it was, he just, you know, it was just what he did. And we were, he went to Disneyland with, I mean, he really went everywhere with us and we were in line at Disneyland one morning and um, there was a mom and a little boy behind us that I really wasn't paying much attention to. And Riley's kind of on the ground and I'm looking the other way and I hear like a choked sob of some sort. So I kind of turn around and the mom is sort of looking down and her son had his hand on Riley's back. And it wasn't that it, it, it wasn't, you know, I wasn't understanding what was happening. And I, she then kind of, you know, she composed herself and said, 
my son is terrified of animals. He's has autism. He's pretty far on the spectrum. And it's such a problem that we've had him in pretty intense therapy over this. And I think it's connected to other issues. And it was, it was really a thing for her. And she's explaining this and that she was nervous seeing us in line at her son's reaction, but he was very calm behind us. And then he went over and put his hand on Riley. And as she's telling me this, I, you know, we're talking and then we kind of looked over and her son has his body completely across the top of Riley and he's just laying on top of him. And I, it was this thing (laughs) where she, and she just said, you have the most special dog. And I was like, Yeah, I know. You know, it was, it's just this, it's, I think there are certain dogs that just, they're angels, you know, I mean, they come to heal and you know it when you have one and you know it when you see it and others sense it. And, you know, we had other friends who were scared of dogs and they've since rescued animals and are absolutely in love with their dogs, you know, and Riley, they all credit Riley, you know, to, showing them what the love of a dog can do and be. And it's different for all of us. You know, it's what we need it to be. And they are a-okay with that. You know, they just, um, they heal the cracks in your heart because humans are imperfect. We try, we all try very hard, but we hurt each other. We just do. And, um, the love of a dog is the one thing that will never hurt you. And it is so safe and you can trust it fully and you're never kind of tiptoeing around, you know? And I think it's really important for all of us to have it because it helps us trust life and love more than we could if we hadn't learned it from them. Yes. Oh my gosh. I cried. I laughed. I yeah. got goosebumps. Like, oh my God. Oh, yeah. I, you know, I relate because we talked about mm-hmm. Sammy beforehand and mm-hmm. there is just this special angelic gift about, um, mm-hmm. you know, certain animals, certain dogs, or at least in my experience. And sometimes yeah. I joke with Sammy, I'll look at her because I swear she's reading my thoughts and people will tell me this dog looks into my soul. Like, I've had more, more than one person say that to me because she just has this way. It's like, she's looking through the, the exterior, you know, stuff we put on and looks right in and sees the authentic and the real. And, um, I sometimes love you so much for it. Oh my gosh. So much for whatever she sees. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. And and that's the beautiful part of it is just, yeah, they just accept you for, who you are in, yeah. in everything. Yeah. Yeah. hundred, hundred, hundred percent, thousand percent. I know. Thousand percent. Yeah. Well, I tell her, I, I say, are you going to go back and report to the mothership while I'm sleeping? I think it's an alien sometimes. I'm like, holy cow, dog. You're like so intelligent. You're that so, yeah. It's like, it's like, so I can hear her funny. thoughts. It's just, she's just the sweetest. Oh yeah. I know. I know. I, I, I just, I'm just nodding. Cause you're saying everything that I say as well. It, it's, it's, you know, and then I remember too, with the kids, I remember when I had to say goodbye and go to the hospital for quite a while. I remember I was saying goodbye and my daughter, cause again, Tommy was so little and she was sort of, I remember she said something like, 
but who's going to have tea parties with me while you're gone, you know, and her two-year-old brain, two and a half-year-old brain at this time, what she was trying to figure out. And then it was this, um, I remember I said something like, well, dad, or, you know, and she said, oh, Riley can have them, you know, and that just made her so happy. And they'd send me pictures. She'd give, she'd paint Riley's toenails, you know, <laughs> for hours. And this dog sat there with just painted, you know, it was, but it was for her. They had this thing where it was, if I'm sad, I'm just going to go hug Riley. And they did. I've got a million pictures of my kids just wrapped around this dog. And they were so little, but it, for them, gave them what they needed in that moment, you know, and I will be forever grateful for that. Forever grateful. Yeah. What a gift. Wow. Mm-hmm. Beautiful. Yeah. Well, is there anything else that you wanted to touch upon before we close out for today? You know, I feel like what I've learned more than anything, and I, it took me, I think, years after my third diagnosis to really begin to process. I didn't realize it was a trauma until I was further out. It was just too much for me to process. And once I started processing, what I realized was, and I I also think I did a lot of some public speaking and started going across around the country. And I loved hearing afterwards, talking to audience members. And there was one message that I realized was very consistent And one man said it best after his talk in Georgia, he came up and he said, listen, my nephew was just diagnosed for the second, I think the second time with a a leukemia and he has to have his second bone marrow transplant. Wow. And we have just been distraught. Like we really have just been, and he was this very distinguished, you know, was kind of intimidated by him, this older gentleman. And he just had tears. Mm -hmm. And he said, I just listened to you and your story. And even though it's a different story, you also had two bone marrow transplants and you just gave me hope. And he showed me a picture of his nephew and said, I'm getting ready to call them and I'm going to then give them hope. And I think that was the common thread that I kept hearing. And I thought, listen, I don't know why I'm still alive. I'm not statistically supposed to still be here. I thought I was going to be a surgeon. I'm left brain. I love a good math problem, but here I am you know, writing and speaking and talking about this message of hope because I lived it and it was what I had to choose and I chose it and I've seen what it has done for people. And I've seen situations not work out or end the way people had hoped they would, but it doesn't mean that that hope isn't there. It just changes its form a little bit. So I've been asked, you know, well, you know, I, I personally had my uncle passed away last year and it was sort of this, well, we were hope we were hopeful. It didn't, you know, and it's like, yes, but it, it doesn't hope doesn't mean it's going to look like exactly what we want it to look like. Mm-hmm. Hope means so many things, but there were, it just, it shifted the form of it, you know, and then you start to realize that, and there's been so much you know, and there have been incredible things that have come out of my, you know, my uncle's passing situation with my cousins. And now they look back and they're like, oh yeah, now I get it. You know, <laughs> But it's not a guarantee. It's just what you hold on to and what keeps you going when you need it to. Yeah. And I think that it's essential. I don't think that it's nice or pretty to have. I think it, you have to have it. 
And, you know, um, I, I've, I've seen it, like I've seen it. So I've lived it, I've seen it, I've heard it, I've listened to it, I've watched it. And it's just, it's everything. Yes. And I agree. I had a great interview with uh, Casey Gwynn and he talks about the science of hope. And mm. um, yeah, it really is a science too. I mean, besides the fact, you know, feeling it on a heart and soul level, it, it, yeah. really, it really is critical um, for the healing journey. Yeah. I think it is. It is. Well, wonderful. for life, not just the healing journey, but for life. Right. right. For life. Yes. yes. And to right. trust it, you know, yeah. don't be afraid to trust it. Right. So how do people find you? How do they connect and get a hold of you? Yes, my website, Dear Riley Rose. And then it's the same for Instagram, Facebook, my emails on there. I love talking to people anytime. Would love that. Awesome. Wonderful. Well, my heart is hugging yours. And um, yes, thank you for joining me. I'm so glad we connected. Thank you. Um, I am too. I've loved it. Thank you so much. Oh my gosh. Absolutely. All right. Well, everyone, thank you for joining us today on the Healing Place podcast. And until next time, remember, be gentle with yourself. Thanks. Bye-bye. Thank you so much for listening today to the Healing Place podcast with your host and trauma warrior, Terry Welbrock. If you enjoyed this episode and want to learn more about Terry, her mission, and the Hope for Healing journey, Visit Terry's website at www.terrywellbrock.com. Thank you for liking, commenting, sharing, and offering your reviews on our YouTube channel, audio outlets, and Facebook page. And as Terry reminds us, until next time, remember, be gentle with yourself.